the optimal life. Lindsay, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Doing fantastic. So I want to start with this. The, probably the most important thing I'll say during this entire conversation today. Here we go. <laughs> OH. OH? Come on. I see you went to uni- your uh, University oh, of Michigan. I went, yes. Okay. Sorry. Oh, come on. <laughs> see, I'm here I totally Cleveland. just failed you and I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here in Cleveland. So I saw you were a big Michigan Got fan. Got it. And of course, I'm a Buckeye fan. So I had to say that. I, I think I was just not expecting that. So I that's, what, that's how we do it here. We like to throw people off and then, <laughs> then they feel comfortable. <sighs> oh, man. Uh, anyways, so that didn't work out so well. So that's we'll, OK. We'll just dig. <laughs> we'll just dive into it. Um, so I see that you have been featured in a lot of different publications. Yes. Um, I mean, Time Magazine, Wall Street Journal, babycenter.com, parents.com, the doctors, access live, Chicago Tribune, Crane Chicago business. The list goes on and on and on. And uh, you're obviously doing this in forms of a, you know, parenting lifestyle expert and an entrepreneur, small business expert. So what, uh, why does everyone want a piece of you? (laughs) You know, it's funny when I started my first company. So I I started, I I left corporate America in 2010 and I started my first company, which was called Bump Club and Beyond. And honestly, this was before social media even existed. And it's funny because I put something up on TikTok the other day and I, I, I asked that like the people on TikTok, I showed pictures of my community and I said, can you create a community like this without social media? And there was a resounding no. And it's ironic because I did. And, um, you know, I showed up and I showed up at events that we were creating for parents and parents to be. I showed up on my website. I showed up on my personal Facebook. There was no business Facebook. And I was myself and I shared my pregnancy and I shared my journey and the highs and the lows. And I really made a connection with people. And from there, um, you know, I grew this community of parents and parents to be who, you know, I was hosting events for. That was my business. My whole my whole business was to create a community of support for parents and parents to be. I myself at the time was newly pregnant, and um, I grew that. I grew that to be, you know, three mil- We were reaching three million people a month. We were generating seven figures from our community, and it all came from our community. That's really and truly where it all stemmed from. Let me just stop you real quick. Yeah. You started with, you say $500 in your pocket. Mm -hmm. You go online on Facebook and you start this community for expecting mothers. Mm -hmm. It was an in-person community started with events. It started with events. So you would, you would throw, you would throw events for strictly mothers that were pregnant. Yep. Okay. And then, and then what happens at these events? What are you offering? Yes. So we were offering speakers on parenthood and how to prepare for parenthood. Everyone got these giant gift bags. I was working with a lot of brands. My background is in advertising sales and marketing. So I have no problem. Like I, you know, I would reach out to these brands and I would say, Hey, we have 90 people coming to an expectant parent dinner. And they would send me 90 bottles, 90 swaddle blankets. And um, people were very excited about the swag they were getting. And um, really and truly the women that were coming were showing up for community. They they needed the support. We were living in downtown Chicago at the time. 
And there really just wasn't a place to find support as an expectant parent. And, you know, as a parent, it's very easy. It's kind of like when you have a dog and you go to the dog park as a parent, you walk down the street with your stroller and it's really easy to connect with other with other parents. But when you're expecting not so much, especially your first time, and there's a lot of information you need and there's a lot of resources that are out there and you're kind of trying to figure out which one's best. And so I started a company that essentially created community and brought together women and then eventually men and their babies, but, um, and shared with them their really connected them with the best products, resources, and information in addition to each other. So that was kind of the notion of the community. What was the name Um, of that company? It was called bump club and beyond bump. And I sold it. But you asked the the reason you you asked me about the press and what ended up happening was word started getting out about what I was doing in Chicago. The events were being attended by hundreds of people. I ended up having a mom approach me and say, you know what? I think I can get you on TV. And I ended up hiring her. She was my she and her partner were my publicist for the first five years of my business. And I started going on TV to share the information that we were sharing at the events, the products we were sharing at the events. And essentially, I became an expert in the parenting space. And from there, you know, my business grew to be national. We started hosting events in other markets. We started working with companies such as Nordstrom and Target and the Honest Company. They would hire us. We would create these activations that um, were for expectant parents and parents, and we would bring our community to them and they would, they would be paying us for them. And so as we started to draw national attention and, um, you know, and garner more and more people who were coming to our events. And also at the time, social media started to grow. We started to, you know, show up on Instagram and we had a Facebook business page and a LinkedIn and, you know, we were really growing our presence, but I established myself as an expert in the space. And, you know, that was something that, Brand started hiring me to be their spokesperson in addition to me doing club. Um, and then we started getting covered just, you know, we, things we were doing would be covered kind of naturally. And then with the press, like when you asked about like time magazine and whatnot, I started being approached to comment and, um, you know, offer my insight as an expert. So it really, you know, that was 10 years in the making all the I received, but it all started with me showing up and being myself truly. Um, what were your you know, revenue streams besides the event planning? Of course. So we had, we really were run like a, um, like it with a media model. So we of course had like some of our events were ticketed. Some of them were free. They were very community driven, but our number one revenue stream was sponsorship. So we worked with every baby brand under the sun, they would sponsor our events, our activations, often our online, like our webinars and our online activations once we started doing things online. So that was our number one revenue stream. And then tickets were number two. And then for a while, we had a membership that that uh, that actually went away after I was acquired. Um, it became a free membership. But um, but those were our three main sources of revenue. So when you're sitting there in front of your Facebook page with $500 and looking to make a shift and start this community, uh, did you have this vision or did it kind of just start unfolding based on feedback you were getting from people? Um, It was on feedback to me. Say that again. You're breaking up. I'm sorry. Sorry. Can you hear me? Yes. Go ahead. Okay. Sorry. It was all based on feedback. I mean, honestly, this was something that I started out of my own necessity and my own need. 
I was expecting I was in Chicago. My husband and I don't have family here at the time. None of my friends were pregnant and um, we all have fifth graders, which is funny. I was just first. And I said to my husband, I need to find some people because our kids going to need some friends and I'm going to need some support. And, and, you know, like it's, this is like a really crazy time of your life. And I'm going through a lot of changes, like both physically and mentally. And so I know to answer your question, I didn't really have a plan, but what ended up happening was, you know, I had, I built a little website with that's what the $500 was used for. Um, and I, I created these two events and I literally sent an email to everyone I knew. I posted it on LinkedIn and on my personal Facebook. And we had 50 people come to the first event. We, it was a workout and we ended up having to use both rooms in the studio. We were only prepared to use one. And then we did a shopping event and I had 75 women come. And then after that, I did ask for feedback. And after every single event, I asked for feedback. And that's really how we started our events game and the digital and the content really kind of came with the territory. And, um, as social media grew and as you needed to really, you know, change and, um, shift and put things online, we, we did that. And we, you know, I, I learned how to do Instagram right out of the gate. I learned how to do now I'm learning TikTok, which is really the bane of my existence, but, um, for my new business, but, um, you know, I really learned as I went along, but no, I didn't have a plan. And it really wasn't until like probably year four that I knew, I mean, we were making, we were making good money. I was paying myself. I had, I think two or three employees at the time. Um, one was a W2 and I think two were 1099s and, um, you know, but I was a, a new mom. I had two kids under the age of three and I was running these events. We were just entering a relationship with target Nordstrom had just called. And my husband said, to, my husband said to me, how much money did you make? Or like, are you going to make this year? And I looked at our books and like nearly fell out of my seat because it was almost seven figures. And so that well, was say, really, let me ask you, Lindsay, let me interrupt you. When you say you were going to make seven figures, was that your company's top line or was that what you were taking home? No, That yourself? was my company's top line. Gotcha. Okay. But still, so all of a sudden, a lot... you were looking at a seven figure business. Yes. And... and I was like, oh, holy shit. You know, like this, this really is like, I knew it was a real business. But when you're in the weeds and, you know, you're, you're trying to make it work and you're trying to pay your employees and yourself and, and whatnot, like I just, I, I, I had a, a bookkeeper, but then I really hired someone to help. And it was then that, you know, the business really started shifting. Nordstrom paid us a very large amount of money to host these events um, across the country in their stores. We entered a larger agreement with Target let and me, we, yeah. Uh, let me just chime in a little. Yeah, please. I'm trying to follow this is there's so many things. Sorry, there are. So no, many it's, it's a, and it's fascinating stuff. So Nordstrom's paying you and your company to come host these events because you're bringing the traffic and the traffic's ultimately gonna the more people that walk into the store the more likelihood they're gonna be buying things off the shelf yes so what happened was Nordstrom entered the baby gear game in I want to say it was maybe 2014 where essentially they started carrying car seats and strollers in their store but no one knew about it because a lot of the baby departments at Nordstrom are within the kids the kids section and if you were a first-time parent you have the kids section of Nordstrom. And so they were looking for a way to get the word out to expectant parents that, you know, they had carried all of these strollers and car seats and really high end brands that a lot of the specialty boutiques were carrying like bugaboo up a baby, um, 
like some of the really high end baby brands. They saw me at another event um, and they called me and they said, you know, we know you have this traveling expo. It was called Gearpalooza. It was like our signature event. We took it to 20 cities a year. That was like one of our big event activations. And they said, we'd like to host Gearpalooza. And I said, well, you, you can't because Gearapalooza is tied to small independent retailers, each of the cities that we go to. And I won't screw these people over. They've been these retailers have been supporting us for you know two, three years at this point. And I said, and we charge a fee to come to this event. And I don't think you're going to want to charge a fee to walk into your store. And they said, no, you're right. But what can we do together? And so I created a very customized event series with Nordstrom and um, one of my partners at the time, not a, a business partner, but a speaker that we used for our event series. We did like a traveling roadshow for Nordstrom where we would show up at their stores on the weekend. We had these big, um, like a big set that followed us. And we did a talk about baby gear and how to register for things and what to buy. And then people shopped and, and the feedback from Nordstrom was that, you know, in one morning people were spending five, six figures on the products that we were recommending. And so, um, this event series and event and Nordstrom paid us for it. It was a two-year contract and, um, and we did it, I think in 24 stores. So it was, that was like a, a, an amazing, amazing thing for bump club. It really put us on the map nationally, personally, you know, it was tough. I had two young kids at home and I was traveling every other weekend to a different Nordstrom around the country, um, to host these events because I was part of the contract. So, um, you know, but that it was a really pivotal moment and experience for my business. So would you attribute that as the number one uh, factor that allowed you to truly scale this business? And if not, what would you, what would be? It was two things and they happened at the same time. It, well, it, it, it was, it was three things actually. So it was Nordstrom, it was Gearapalooza, which was our own event series that we started in Chicago and then, and it kept selling out. And so then we did it in a few other cities and every year more and more people would ask us. And eventually we worked our way from like three to five, I think to 12 to 15 to 19. And we were doing 19 of these and they were big events. And that, that was like kind of our own method for reaching out to people in getting people involved in our community. And then the third thing was target. Um, Target also approached us in 2012. It was before my second daughter was born and they were looking to really bring a sense of community to their baby department. Because I mean, when you think about Target, it's a mass retailer. You go in with the registry gun, you register, but they really wanted to be looked at as, you know, a place of authority and education and community. And so they called upon us and we started really a lot of it was, it was beta testing. And we started hosting events in stores in the Chicago and Minneapolis regions. And we were really trying to perfect what worked and what didn't. And that, I mean, that relationship is still going on with bump club today. I exited bump club last year. And um, that is that relationship was the sole catalyst for the sale of my business because the company who bought me wanted to get into target at baby and they couldn't because we were there and we were the preferred partner and the, and they just clout and you know really no trust and authority in the baby space. And so that was why they approached me to buy me. Who, who bought your company? Advantage Marketing Solutions. 
Advantage Marketing Solutions. Are they, what, what do they do? What's their prime purpose? So they're an agency holding company and um, they own a bunch of different agencies like Edge and Amp and um, uh, like a lot of retail agencies and, and whatnot. And one, one of their agencies, Brand Connections, um, was their agency who had a relationship with Target in the beauty space. And so that they bought me. Um, they went public a year after they purchased me. So Bump Club, as it evolved from a event planning to, well, it was really the event. It was always event planning and these events and community. That seems to be the prime. The business really never changed in that regard. Correct. Correct. So so you you were growing it, you were scaling. So, so, So for somebody that's trying to scale their business and they're frustrated, they're running into some hurdles along the way. Uh, I assume you can take the experiences that you learned through yours and kind of attribute those across the board, regardless of what business they are. Of course, if that's the case, I mean, somebody that's kind of struggling or that's that's running into some headwinds. What's some advice you have for them? Yeah, I think it depends how someone's going to scale. You know, right now, I think a lot of people think that they need to scale online and they need to, you know, be on every social media platform and you know, a lot. And what happens then is a lot of entrepreneurs get caught in like this content creation wheel and they're just kind of spurning out, like spurting out content that, you know, cause they're trying to be everywhere and be all things to everyone. And so I think, you know, from like a digital standpoint, obviously you want to use those resources. They're free and they're great for growth, but it is also very important to focus and to figure out what you can do offline to grow both your online offline and, you know, in-person communities. I think that is a really important thing. So you just, you don't want to get stuck just creating content for no one, for no purpose all day long. And I think, Mm -hmm. and a lot of entrepreneurs who come to me, they're, they're like in that they're like, how, how can I deal with all this social media? And it's, you really have to, you know, figure out what your focus is, what you want to do, um, and kind of where you want to put your eggs. And, and I would suggest not putting them all in one basket either. I mean, don't want to only be on Instagram or only be having an email list, like you really want to try to get a few different places. Um, you can grow and pull people from different places. That would be the first thing. The second thing is from a geographic standpoint, and if you're doing something in person or if you have a product or, um, you know, like if you have a franchise, I mean, there's so many different ways like to factor geography into this. One of the biggest lessons that I learned when I was growing was that not every market is the same and you can't, you can't expand geographically without really doing your homework and to, you know, what is the difference between, um, you know, the Chicago market and the San Francisco market. And like, we learned the hard way because we put the cart before the horse and we didn't do the right research. And, you know, ultimately we had a mom doing events for us in San Francisco and one in Los Angeles. They did not work and translate the way that Austin and Minneapolis did from Chicago. And we ended up kind of getting rid of those events and revisiting when we started working with bigger partners like Nordstrom and Target. But we learned a lot from those markets and all also just kind of what we needed on the ground, who we needed on the ground and where we needed to focus our attention to really make sure that we were we had someone local and localized but that also could carry out the mission of the national brand. And so, you know, there's just like a lot of factors to consider um in that regard. Sure. Why did the West Coast so the San Francisco market and some of the others, what did not work? What was it about those markets that 
didn't allow this to work the same as it did in the Midwest cities. Yeah. So the bread and butter of our of our brand at the time was this expectant parent dinner that we did every month in Chicago. And there were times in Chicago that we would we would sell out and have to add a second dinner. And so essentially we would have like 200 people coming over the course of two days to hear a speaker and and whatnot. And we we generated a lot of revenue from that dinner, both from sponsorships and from ticket sales. And the thing is, is in Chicago, you know, most people who most I'm not saying all, but most people who work in the city work like in the loop or, you know, near Michigan Avenue. And people don't have a problem moving around and moving about the city. So it was not a big issue for people to come to the dinner after after work. And in San Francisco and Los Angeles, it was a much bigger problem because the traffic people who were like in Marin, for example, in San Francisco, did not want to cross the Golden Gate Bridge and come to a dinner on Union Street during rush hour. People in L.A., you know, L.A. is like a monster in and of itself. Um, you know, if you live in Santa Monica, you don't want to go to West Hollywood for a dinner and vice versa. And so it became very limiting on and, and it had to be really, really hyper local. And so a dinner would only get like 20, 25 people instead of 100 people. And then you it, which brings you to the question of like, is it really even worth it? And um, and it wasn't from from a monetary standpoint, it, it really wasn't worth it. And so we had to like alter the times of day that we were doing things. And, you know, there were just like all these geographic factors um, sure. and, yeah. and moms were a little bit different in each of the markets. And, right. you know, so we just had to think about those things. And, you know, we really like jumped into expanding. And that was probably one of my biggest lessons that I learned. That's interesting. Yeah, I've seen that with with restaurants uh, here mm-hmm. as well. A, a super successful steakhouse here in Cleveland uh, then goes and opens in a couple other major cities and ultimately ends up closing. And it's just the habits and routines and location. There's so many different factors, but it's not one size fits all to your point. Correct. So that's something that people and it's need much to be different. Not- if you have a product, you know, if you're selling a product and you're not, it's not a service or I mean, this was a very like hyper local event strategy. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Where where human dynamics and behavior are even more important depending on where they are for the for the outcome. Um, but you mentioned something that I thought was really interesting. And going back to the social media versus the in-person and the relationship building. And I think that that's a trap that majority of people, you know this better than anybody are finding and getting into these days, they, they're so focused on the social and they're getting frustrated because they're not getting much traction, the social, even if the social media is growing, that's, that's kind of secondary at this point in terms of actually translating that type of stuff to sales and brand and success and growth. I think it's really something that, that I'd like to you to maybe elaborate on a little bit more is the importance of those in-person relationships, going and shaking hands, talking to people, meeting people, hiding behind the computer will only get you so far. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, I think that the last two and a half years of you know us being stuck at home during the pandemic was a good and a bad thing in this regard. Like I think, um, you know, a lot of people started becoming more social on social media and putting themselves out there and realizing that it was a great catalyst for business, which it is. But whether it's online or in person, the number one thing that you have to remember is you have to engage, you know, and like, and it's so much easier to engage in person. So like I just spoke at a chamber of commerce event a couple of weeks ago 
And it was my first, it was actually last month. It was my first in-person event in a long, 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 long time. And the, just like the feeling in the room was so amazing because everyone was so excited to be there. But afterwards I ended up sticking around. I think I was there for over an hour and a half talking to different people who had questions and I didn't care because it was so amazing to be able to be in person and like sell myself in person. I actually just did a post this morning on like ways to drive your community offline and like speaking an event, speaking at an event is one of them. Being on a podcast is one of them too. It's not in person, but it's definitely a way, you know, to help with that connection. Um, you know, there's all these different ways that you can do that. But to your point, like shaking hands, like being able to show your true self is so important. And that's why though online, like when I'm telling my clients, it's not about that vanity number, like who cares about how many followers you have? It's really about your engagement factor. And the same thing is it holds true online. It does in person. Like it's called social media because you need to be social. So you can't just expect to put content up and like, sit back. Like you have to engage with people. If people are commenting. You need to start a conversation. You need to show up in your story so people can see you. They want to buy from you. People are going to buy from you. They're not going to just buy from your post. And so it's just so important that you are social and you are engaging and you don't forget that when you're hiding behind your computer screen. Because right. if you if you do show up and engage, and have, you know, really build that community. And that's what I did at Bump Club. And that's what I'm doing now with my, with Dear Founder and, um, you know, my community for female founders and entrepreneurs, but you have to show up and engage and you can't get stuck in that trap of like being nervous or not doing it. That's perfect advice. Um, you talk about Dear Founder. You just mentioned that's that's your weekly podcast. Fairly recent. You, I think you launched the beginning of this year. Talk a little bit about what you're doing with that. Yeah. So um, I always knew I wanted to start a podcast. And you know, when I left Bump Club last year in 2021, um, a big part of me leaving was because I was getting approached by a lot of different brands and founders who were asking me for help. They wanted to hire me for projects in terms of helping their community growth and dealing with their social strategy. And these were all things that I really wanted to do. And I realized that there just, there were so many founders out there that just need a little help and that feel alone. And I know when I first started, I felt really, really alone as a female founder. And so I started a podcast twice a week. I bring on a female founder, found her. Um, we have had, I haven't episode. I have one male episode coming up, but um, who shares their story. And we really just talk just like how you and I are right now about the ups and downs of their business lessons that they've learned. And it's just a conversation and the takeaways are, are insane. And it really is a, a product I wish I had when I had started my business. And you're, and you're consulting for um, with your consulting business. Now you're content creating community builder, marketer, spokesperson, on-air media expert, small business champion, you have all these things going on. Are you working strictly with women or is it across? The I'm board? not working strictly with women. Um, I have worked mostly with women, mostly with women. Um, and I and think that's podcast- just by nature of people reaching, like who's reaching out to me. And the podcast though, is really more tailored toward, toward the female, correct? I mean, um, you know, it's female founders. I will tell you, I have had many men tell me that they've listened to it and that there are a lot of lessons that are are amazing for them as well. So I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's gender specific. I think the lessons that are being shared, um, anyone and everyone can benefit from. 
Yeah. So, uh, well, that's really fascinating stuff um, to see what you've been able to do, to see what you've been able to to grow. And and here you are consulting and, and helping people with businesses and marketing. Um, anyone that's kind of just looking to get started because uh, the, there's so many different startups. You mentioned COVID. People had to readjust their strategies, all those kind of things. For anyone that's just getting started, what's some low-hanging fruit advice you can give them to get the, the engines revved up? Yeah, of course. And actually, I, I actually I have a PDF on my website that's that is this, and it's free. You can go on and download it. It's five steps to um, launching a business. And you know, I always tell my clients and anyone who's in within my community, the first thing is you just have to do it. I mean, there's not going to be a perfect time. And um, you know, even when I was launching lindsaypinchuk.com that tied into my podcast in last September, my website wasn't perfect, but I knew I had to get it out there and I did. And I ended up getting a couple of clients. So you have to just do it and get out there and not just do it and get out there, but you have to tell people that you're there. And I think that's the number one mistake that entrepreneurs make is they, you know, have a little bit of, we, we all are guilty of it. We have imposter syndrome. We're like, are, is, are people going to like this? I don't know if I should put it out in the world. You have to tell people, if you don't tell people what you're doing, then no one's going to know. So really and truly, the first thing that I tell anyone who's starting a business is put your business out there and email every single person you know and let them know what you're doing. They they might not be your clients. In fact, most of them won't be, but they all know people too. And so when you reach out to the people you know who, who trust you and who know you personally and you say, this is what I'm doing, this is why I'm doing it, and this is how, I'd love for you to let your friends know, follow me on social media. Um, like, thank you so much for your support. I am still getting emails from that email I sent in September because people are saying, oh, I talked your email away and now I need you to help me grow my community with my business or I could use some help with content or whatever it might be. It's a really important thing to do. And it's the number one thing that mm. people don't do. Fantastic. And there's never the right, you know, everyone's always waiting for that right time, right, Lindsay? Like we, uh, when I have this in line, this in line, th then it will be the right time. The right time's now. Yes. And there's never going to be a perfect time. Never. Right. I mean, there's always going to be something. One more thing that I wanted to ask you about before we wrap it up was you've done all this. You, of course, with you were, you were an expecting mother when this all started, you have kids now, you have a husband, of course, and to grow a business takes a true partnership within the home. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about the challenges of growing a business while your husband, I assume is working and doing yes. his own thing as well. How were you guys able to balance all that, especially with all the responsibilities of having daughters and everything else that comes with life? How did that work for you? Well, husband's incredibly supportive. You know, when I started the company and decided to leave to do it full time, you know, the, the notion was, okay, we're going to make a big shift because I was giving up my salary and um, we're going to make a big shift. And the goal for the year is to pay the nanny. And we ended up exceeding that. And I think, you know, my husband just really saw something in me. He believed in me and, you know, I, and I'm glad he did because I wouldn't have been able to do any of it without him. Um, but the other thing that is really, really important for anyone who's starting a business and this is male or female is you have to know and to ask for help. And a lot of that comes within the house. Um, like we have childcare. Um, we have, we've always had childcare. I've always had an au pair, which a lot of people that, um, having an au pair is like something very fancy. It's actually a fraction of the price of 
nanny and it's government related. So um, it's very, it's very different, but we've always had an au pair. And part of why we have always had someone living with us and helping me, my kids is so when I'm not working, I can actually be with my kids worried about or are their rooms clean or whatever it is, because our au pair works with my kids on all of those things. And, you know, I just, I think it's so important that you look at your village holistically and you look at your team holistically. Your team is not just the people who are working in your corporation. There are the people who are, you know, working with you every day in your house as well. And, um, you know, I've never been ashamed or embarrassed to say that like we have had childcare and I could, could never have done any of this with them. Um, it also, you know, helps alleviate pressure for my husband and I, and, you know, I'm sure we've had a lot of fights because we have someone else helping us with these little things that would likely fall on my plate, um, just as the mom and would have taken away from me, you know, doing certain things with my business. And so, um, you know, having a career where I, I did travel, like I traveled a ton with bump club. And so between our old parents, oftentimes my mom would come in help. I just, I never have a problem asking for help. And that, that is really something that is important, um, and can save, you know, your relationships in the household as well. Sure. Sure. It takes a village as mm-hmm. they say, it really does. Um, for anyone that wants to work with you, whether it's on the coaching consulting side with business growth, branding, marketing, et cetera, uh, where do you suggest they find you online? You can go to lindsaypinchuk.com and um, you can also find me on Instagram at Lindsay Pinchuk. It is me. It is not a virtual assistant and I do respond to everyone. So Fantastic. Guys, check her out. We've linked her here in the show notes, lindsaypinchuk.com. Lindsay, thank you so much for shedding light into your story and uh, hopefully inspiring some people out there. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of the Optimal Life Podcast. If you haven't yet, please subscribe and follow the podcast wherever you're listening. And you could also leave a review. Apple Podcasts, of course, you could leave reviews and ratings. Spotify, you could leave reviews and ratings and several and many other podcast apps. Wherever you may be listening, please tell a friend, tell a family member, let them know about the podcast, and we will see you next time.